So we're going to go to the book of Genesis chapter number 2. When God created humanity, He was very particular about how He did what He did. Genesis chapter 2 verses 7 and 8 tell us this. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he put the man whom he had formed. Verse 15 elaborates and gives us a little bit more insight. The Bible says this. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to dress it and to keep it. So God makes man, the Bible says that he makes man out of the dust of the earth, breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, man becomes a living being. It's the only creature that God fashions with his hands. Okay, He speaks the, the animals, the fish, the birds, he speaks all of that into existence, but he creates man out of the dust of the earth. And he begins to give him a purpose in creation. Everybody say, I got a job. God gives us purpose. Okay? That's why, ladies, a man without a job will drive you crazy. Everybody listening to me right now? Anybody? Uh, don't raise your hand. But anybody had a husband retire and you th- tell somebody, he's driving me nuts. I've heard it, ha- I've heard it said. Because a man without purpose is really, really in trouble. God gave us an innate desire to have a purpose, okay? That's why anytime you let a man uh, alone for a little bit, he's going to find something to do, okay? And men, let me go ahead and set us up. If you're here today and you're not married, and you're a young man here and not married, you're going to be a poor husband until you find God's given purpose in your life. That's free, that's free dating advice right there. Ladies, go ahead and let me tell you something. If your man doesn't have purpose, if you're dating a guy that doesn't have purpose, you need to pump the brake a little bit because until he finds purpose, he's not going to be an effective husband. It's just the way God wired us. In fact, when God called, uh, Adam, well, he created Adam and he put him in the garden, he gave him a twofold purpose. The Bible says that he was, first of all, to dress it. That literally means, that's a fancy King James Version way of saying, he put him to work. It was his job to make sure everything that God had established in creation was producing. That's it. He was to take care of the animals. He was to name them. He was to take care of the plants. He was to take care of all the trees and everything in the garden. He was to literally work or dress it. The second phrase there, we think it's kind of redundant, but it's really a totally different word in the Hebrew. He said he's to dress it or work. He is to keep it or to guard it. In other words, men, we are called to protect, to guard what God has given us. Okay? That's why in East Texas, when you walk into a man's home, typically there's about six guns within sight. He's protecting his castle. Maybe a little bit of an exaggeration, but you know what I mean. Okay? I know where I'm at today. I know where everybody's got y'all's guns. So. <clears throat> we have this innate desire to protect what is ours. 
That's the job God has given us, the purpose God has given us. We are to work and, and develop and make sure what is within the home is producing. And we are to protect what is in the home by keeping it away from any adversary outside the four walls of our home. Men, let me just preach a little bit. We do really good at guarding our homes. We're tough, macho men. We believe that, bless God, nobody's going to touch me and mine. I'm going to protect. I'm going to keep it safe. I'm going to have it on lockdown. And nothing's going to get to us. We must remember that that's only part of the job. Our job is to make sure that what's in the garden is growing and producing. Did y'all hear me? I said we got to guard against some things, yes. But we need to be growing and maturing our children. We need to be nurturing and growing our wives. Not manipulation, not trying to get them to do what we want them to do. I'm talking about developing them to be what God's called them to be. I want to make sure that I, I'm growing my family. And I'm not talking about having another kid. I'm talking about mature, spiritually, emotionally. I want to develop them into what God has called them to be. That's my purpose. Okay? Everybody with me so far? So God gives him purpose but then God looks at man and says, we have a little bit of a problem. It's not good that man should be alone. And verse number 18 of Genesis chapter 2, God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give him an help meet. Everybody say help meet. It is a unique word. It is a unique word. Nobody really refers to their wife as help meet. It's just, it just doesn't even roll off the tongue right. But what God is saying in His Word is absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. The Hebrew word is azar. It means helper. In your Old Testament Bible, you'll find it used 21 times in Scripture. Now that's, that may not be anything to you, but when you start looking at it, 19 times out of 21 times... This word is used to only describe God. Like Psalm 122. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my azar or help. My help or azar comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's used 19 out of 21 times to refer to God being my help. Now here's the cool thing to me. The Hebrew word, the, the root word that it comes from means to surround. Okay? It's as if when the psalmist writes Psalm 122 and says, I will lift up mine eyes under the hills from whence cometh my help, he's not looking for the kid to come bring the wrench to dad. That's not the kind of help he's talking about. He's looking for somebody that has the ability to literally surround him and get between him and his problem and take care of the issue. That's the kind of God that we serve. He's big enough to surround us and position Himself between us and our problem. The only other time, the only other two times that it's used in Scripture, this Hebrew word is used in Scripture, is in Genesis 2 to describe Adam's helpmate, his wife. It's as if God says, in order for the man to fulfill his purpose... I'm going to put an anointing and a strength on her, on a wife. And she's going to help him fight 
for his purpose. Anybody ever heard the phrase fight like a girl? Ladies, it's time you start fighting like a girl. And you get between your husband and your family and the junk that's trying to destroy and keep them from their purpose. It's time you become almost militant with the devil and say, you know what? I refuse to let you derail my husband's purpose. I refuse to let you derail my children's purpose. I refuse to let you derail my grandchildren's purpose. I'm going to protect and fight and be the helper that my husband needs me to be. That's good stuff right there. Somebody ought to say amen. 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 That's what we've got to do, understand, understand in our roles. Man's given a purpose, but that doesn't mean the wife doesn't have purpose. That doesn't mean she's subordinate to the man. That means she is given to God, by God to man to complete him in fulfilling the God-given purpose that God has placed in his life. Now notice something with me. When God creates woman, notice what he does not do. When he creates animal life, when he creates the birds and the fish, he speaks into into existence. When he creates man, he forms him out of the dust. You would think that if he's already got a prototype or a method of operation in creating humanity, he'll just repeat the process and create woman. That's not what he does. He doesn't fashion her out of dust and breathe into her nostrils the breath of life. The Bible says instead that he causes a deep sleep to fall on Adam And he removes a rib. He removes a rib from Adam, closes up the womb, and takes the rib and makes woman. I love what Matthew Henry writes about this creation in his commentary. He writes that Eve was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, Under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. That's what marriage looks like. Domineering relationships not of God. Everybody hear me? An abusive relationship's not of God. I don't care if it's physical, verbal, emotional, it doesn't matter. It's not of God. It is the will of God. Woman was taken from his side to be loved by him and nurtured and, and held by the man. And, and, and her role is, 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 is different than ours, but it is none no less important. It completes man. It fulfills the purpose of man. And we have to recognize her value. Now, I, again, I know I'm, I'm a little weird sometimes, but I got to thinking about this in the office today. When God made man, He made Adam absolutely perfect. Absolutely. There has never been a more perfect human being created than Adam. Okay? Everybody with me so far? God created Adam perfectly. And then broke His creation to create humanity. God did the first surgery. Adam leaves the surgical table. And he's scarred. And he's missing something he received in creation. Would you think about that? A perfect being was made imperfect so the bride could be formed. 
Sound familiar? A perfect being was made imperfect so that the bride could be created. Because God understood in order for Adam to love Eve, she had to become, come from him. If he had created another being, it would have just been another being for Adam to label. But when he saw Eve, he said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And the Bible says that's when the principle is written that they would become, they would leave and they would cleave and become one flesh. God took something from Adam because he understood you'll love something that came from you. Isn't it funny? I just, I'm going to just jump ahead a little bit. Isn't it funny that when Paul starts writing about marriage in Ephesians 5, he says, you won't really get a picture of, of marriage between a husband and a wife. Look at Jesus at the church. And isn't it cool that God took a perfect being, robed himself in black. He was perfect, Brother Caleb. He was absolutely perfect. He knew no sin. But by the time he got done with the cross, there were scars in his hands and his feet and his side and on his back and on his brow. He took and he bled. And out of that cross, out of that bleeding, out of that scar, came the church. Yeah. Yeah. Woo! And oh, how he loves what come out of his blood. He loves the church. He loves, I'm thankful today, I, I'm thankful today that Jesus loves us enough that he's willing to bleed and die for it. Well, guess what? All of that started, that prototype happened in Genesis chapter 2. And that's the role of husband and wife. Well, glory. So we have this pattern in creation. I'm talking about biblical roles tonight. The man has purpose and he's been given a job to do. And, and the, the, the wife comes along and she assists him in that purpose. She comes alongside him. And together they fulfill the purpose of God. I mentioned this last week. This is just, this is just what pastor believes. Uh, you can take it with a grain of salt. But I believe I have biblical foundation for it. The Bible says that God created man and woman. Genesis chapter 1 in his image. Well, again, look at your spouse. You'll realize very quickly that you are not the same image. I'll be honest. My wife has a lot better image than me. I got gypped. But God said together, He created us in His image. There is a movement that has questioned the gender of God. Do we use masculine pronouns or feminine pronouns? I understand we use masculine pronouns because of the, Judo, the Judeo uh, culture and tradition in which the Bible is written. I get that. But you need to understand you're limiting God by thinking Him of just a he or a her. The reality is God took a little bit of Himself and made me. And then He took a little bit of other, other attributes of Himself and made my wife. And then together He put us together and said, now go multiply and procreate. To get, I can't create by myself. She can't create by herself. But together we create. And that's how we're in the image of God. Amen. Isn't it just wonderful? God has this really cool thing about marriage. Because it, first of all it glorifies Him. But it also shows us the relationship between Jesus and the church. And so now I turn your attention to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. And this is where we're going to get to the good stuff. Everybody say amen. This is where most of the fights start, right here. <laughs> We're going to have a good time, though. Nobody's going to get mad. Nobody's going to get into a fight today. We're just going to have a good time. Bible says that Paul, he's writing in Ephesians to the church. And he's talked a lot about uh, 
grace. He's talked a lot about in Ephesians 2 about mercy and grace. He's talked a lot about the fact that in Ephesians chapter 4 that we've been given fivefold ministry and we're on this journey to be perfected as we grow in grace. And that's the purpose of, of ministry to help us grow. And then he's really digging into the nitty gritty daily living in, with Jesus type stuff when he gets to Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. And in Ephesians chapter 5 beginning with verse 22, he starts writing to the church about marriage. Okay? Now, everybody buckle up. Like I said, I know this could get offensive, but just hear me out. I got some stuff I want to share with you. And I think by the time we're done, you're going to see the beauty of what God was trying to instill. Because Paul picks up the pen. He should have known better. But this is what he said. He said, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. I knew somebody was going to do it. And the bishop went there, so we're good. Okay? Now, you would think, wait a minute, that's, that sounds awful, God. Uh, you don't understand the society we live in today. Um, uh, we, we can't be chauvinistic. And, and we can, let me tell you something. If you think that God was trying to get us to lord over our wives, husbands, you've missed the mark. And that's why we're talking to the wives first, because I'm going to really mess this up by the time we get to the husbands. Okay? Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as unto the Lord. Do you know what that word submit means? It doesn't mean make a sandwich. Okay? Everybody hear that? It doesn't mean massage my feet when I tell you to. Trust me, I've tried. It doesn't work. That's okay. Some of y'all catch that later. That's not what it means. That word there means to put yourself or arrange yourself under. In the military, it's referring to a chain of command. Okay, you've got the general and the colonel and the major and the captain, the lieutenant and the sergeant and the privates. You've got to go down the chain of command and those that are under subjection are those under command. But in the public view, this Greek word means a voluntary attitude. Everybody say voluntary. voluntary. It's a voluntary attitude of giving in cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. In other words, when Paul said, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as unto the Lord, what he's saying is, if you love this man, and you want to spend the rest of your life with this man, then get under the load with this man, and carry the burden with this man. See, we got too many people that think his and hers, we keep it separate, we don't cross paths, it's his career, her career. What would happen if we worked together and carried the load together? Everybody with me? Now I'm going to talk ministry for a second. I'm going to talk, uh, um, uh, I'm going to talk pulpit ministry for just a second, to, just for an example. Okay? I know not everybody's called to pastor or evangelize, I get that. But I have seen too many people in pastoral or evangelism type ministries, pulpit ministry, that fell in love with somebody, had a call of God on their life, but their ministry purpose didn't align. And so when things got rough, they diverged. And when they diverged, it created problems, not just in the ministry aspect of things, 
But it created problems in the home and destroyed families because they weren't under the same burden. They weren't pulling in the same direction. We need to make sure, again, whether you're called to pastor or you're called to dig ditches, it doesn't matter. You and I need to make sure that when we get married, the spouse we're marrying is willing to come alongside and work with us. And that's not a, baby, you're going to do what I tell you to do. No, it's a, we come together to work together and we pull this thing together and see God fulfill purpose in our lives. Amen. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. If you think for a minute this is just something that men are trying to get the upper hand on you, let me go ahead and tell you, God wants you to submit the same way. Whether you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. God wants us to be submitted. To voluntarily say, God, you're it. Whatever load you put on my shoulders, I'm going to carry. Isn't that what Jesus said when he said, hey, take my yoke upon you. Walk with me. Take my yoke upon you. Link up with me and I'll, I'll, I'll show you what it is like to be linked up with the master. Take my yoke. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. If you'll just get harnessed with God and submit to his will. Well, that's the same idea as what he's talking about here in Ephesians chapter 5 between a husband and a wife. That we get in the same harness and we pull in the same direction and we work together to fulfill the purpose of God in our lives. Okay? Understand Paul is not trying to oppress women. He's trying to echo the creative order and remind wives to voluntarily place themselves alongside their husbands. And he's saying the whole time, this is like the church. You see the husband, he says, is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, he is the savior of the body. So as the church is subject unto Christ, let the wives be to their, be to their own husbands in everything. Now, ladies, breathe a little bit because I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to get off you for a second. I, 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 want, I want you to be clear. You got the easy job. I figured I'd at least get an know me out of that. You got the easy job. Because let me read you this next verse. Husbands, love your wives. Okay, I got that. I can do that. Buy her nice things. Take her to dinner once a, a month, you know, on a date and... Make sure the kids don't drive her crazy, right? I got that. Let's finish the verse. Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. She's got to submit according to the Bible. The same verse that tells her to submit, three verses later, tells you to die for her. As Christ loved the church. How bad did Christ love the church? Well, He loved her so much that He took a cross up Calvary. He loved her so much that He let people drive nails into His wrists and His ankles. He loved her so much that He let a pagan whip his back with a cat of nine tails until his back hung in shreds, the muscles hung in shreds. He, he, he loved the church enough that he allowed them to ridicule and mock him all through the streets of Jerusalem. He was so weak he couldn't even carry the cross. He had to have somebody else carry it for him. And he finally made his way up into a, a hill called Golgotha where they executed him publicly like a common criminal between one, two different thieves. Had one on one hand laughing at him, the other on the other hand believing in him. The crowd was jeering. People were saying, if you, can, you saved others, save yourselves. And he wouldn't even take a special drink to ease the pain because he loved the church that much 
And that, my friend, is the equivalent of how you're supposed to love that beautiful bride. You're talking about a job description. Is it going to be easy? No. But that's the level of love you and I, husbands, are striving for. Love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands, listen to me. I know, I know we're called, I know we've got purpose. And, and, and guys, if you're like me, and most of us here are going to be like this, we have tunnel vision. We don't, we're not moms. We don't multitask. My wife gets so frustrated at times. She's trying to talk to me and I'm dealing with something else or I'm, I can't, I, I'm sorry, I can't. I, I just, she's, she's incredible. I'm not that good. We have tunnel vision and too many times we think as long as I'm bringing home a paycheck to provide, I'm good. But my friend, we've got to go a little bit further and say, how can I love her? To the point or the equivalent of how God loved her. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Why? Why did God give, do that much for the church? What was the purpose? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives. As their own bodies. For he that loveth his wife loveth himself. No man ever yet hated his own flesh. But nourisheth and cherisheth it. Even as the Lord the church. You want to know the purpose for Calvary? Because Jesus said I want to present it to myself. A glorious, perfect, holy church. You want to know what our job is, husbands? To present our wives. The ultimate, the ultimate goal is to present our wives back to God. Holy, acceptable unto God. Without spot or wrinkle. I don't have Bible for what I'm about to say, but I'm, I'm going to say it anyway. and You can do with it what you want. I don't have Bible for it, but I just can't help but think that husbands, when we abuse the spiritual condition of our wives. And again, that may be physical abuse. That may be spiritual abuse. Any kind of emotional abuse. When we abuse them and we, we hurt them. That there is a little bit. It's just going to be a little bit hotter. In eternity for us. Because our job. Is not to just have somebody take care of the household chores. Our job is not to lord over her. Because bless God she's supposed to submit. Our job. Is to be able to love her, nurture her, and cherish her. Love her and, and help her grow. Help her blossom into what God's called her to be. And at the end of our lives, be able to stand before the throne of God and say, God, this is what you entrusted me with. I want her to be pleasing to you. I hope and pray that when my wife, by, by the end of our life, and I hope it's a long, I, know, I hope it's another 80 years or so. But by the end of our lives, I hope, it, I hope it's, I can stand before God and my wife has a better prayer life than what she had when we got married. I hope and pray she's just a little bit more holy than what she was. And I'm not saying anything about her when we got married. I'm saying I hope and pray that God doesn't look at me and say, what would you do with all this? How is she better because she lived 
with you. How is she better because she knew you, Jordan? Husbands, our job is to present her back to God, saying, God, I I did everything I could to help her grow and help her become what you've called her to be. Love her as Christ loved the church. Give yourself as Christ gave himself. Be willing to die. Oh, we're okay. We, we, We say it. I'll take a bullet for her. Yeah, but could you? Do you love her enough to pick up your underwear? Okay, we, we stopped being spiritual now. We're getting into people's business. But I'm being for real right now. Do you love her enough to grab her hand and pray with her? Do you love her enough to encourage her? Are you encouraging her spiritual growth or are you hindering her spiritual growth? What are you doing, husband? Because if you're hindering, you're not loving her like Christ loved the church. Are you more interested in your desires and your needs being met and fulfilled? Or are you interested in presenting her back to God, a spotless bride? I'm getting a lot of amens from the ladies. I'm not getting very much from the men. But I hope and pray it's reaching us today. Amen. I'm almost done. Let me take it a step further and we'll be done here in a second. 1 Peter chapter 3 records a very similar teaching. It's Ephesians chapter 5. In fact, 1 Peter 3 echoes a lot of the principles I've already given you. And it talks about holiness and different things of that nature. But in 1 Peter 3 and 7, Peter admonishes us, Likewise ye husbands dwell with them according, talking about the wives, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, or giving value, another word there, giving value unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Again, A lot of folks in society would like to get mad at that phrase, weaker vessel. Bless God, I can do anything a man can do. Okay, yes, you can. I'll even go so far as there's some things you can do better. Okay? But that's not a derogatory term. What Peter is telling the church is honor her or value her. She's worth something of immense value. So give honor to her as unto the weaker vessel. Vessel. Bless God, that that sounds awful. No, no, no. It's not meaning that she's not as strong as you. It's meaning she's a little bit more valuable. Anybody with me so far? How many of you ever drink out of a water bottle? Right? Well, you can do all kinds of things to a water bottle, can't you? You can throw it. I would throw it to you, but it might hit Sister Littlefield. Here, catch. It's a good water bottle. Yeah. Drink fine, won't it? The fact that I throw, you can put it in the freezer and freeze the water, it'll be fine, right? You can take it out on that job and it can run through the mud, right? Who cares? It's just a water bottle, right? There's nothing to it. You can do all kinds of stuff to it. I can drink this water, pour this water out, crinkle the bottle up, throw it in the back of the truck, tomorrow get thirsty, pull that water bottle back out, pop it up, fill it with water, and I'm ready to go again, right? Because it's just a water bottle. You buy a case of waters, what are they? Four bucks for 24? Something like that. 32, I don't know, something like that. Four bucks for 32 water bottles, something like that. Not much value in it. We're probably going to give these for free in September when we do our little fall, uh, homecoming fall, fall festival thing booth up here in downtown because there's really not much cost and people will stay hydrated because there's not much value in it, but it's tough. Okay, everybody with me so far? 
But it totally changes the conversation when the guests arrive. And you grab your nice crystal. And you don't chunk this, do you, Alejandro? You don't throw this to the guest. In fact, when the kids go to get their drink, you say, B -b be careful. Let, why don't you let daddy get that for you? Because you don't want to drop the nice crystal. Okay? You, you don't get the fine china out for an outback or a backdoor barbecue. You get the fine china out when the guests come. And it's Thanksgiving. And everything's got to be perfect. You don't keep the fine china in the cabinet where Marley can get to it. Ask me how I know. The paper plates, they're fine where they're, they're in the cabinet. She can grab those all day long. We don't care. If they get dirty, we'll throw them. It don't matter. But the fine china, the crystal glass, we hold and we take care of it and we protect it. You want to know the difference? Because this one's more valuable than that. This one will break easier, yes, but it's more valuable. Husbands, protect the weaker vessel because she'll break easier. And you protect her because she's more valuable. Quit acting like your wife's a water bottle and start treating her like fine china. And protect her. Everybody say amen. amen. Everybody with me so far? Amen. Marriage is something that you and I have to constantly work on. We have to constantly work toward being better in our marriage. Why? Because at the end of the day, we're all flesh. And we're dealing with sinful humanity. And the fact of the matter is, if I'm going to be more like Jesus, I have to work on this flesh. And if my marriage is an indication of Jesus and the church, and if my marriage is a reflection of the glory of God, then I've got to work on me constantly to make sure that I'm glorifying God. Again, a domineering relationship, either way. Man or woman being the dominator, it doesn't matter. A domineering marriage is not the will of God. An abusive marriage is not the will of God. The will of God in marriage is when a man and a woman... Come together under godly purpose and do what God has called them to do. Will it happen overnight? Absolutely not. It'll take a lifetime to learn. But if you and I keep working, if we keep walking, if we keep pursuing God, then God will help us in our marriage. Would you stand with me all over the building?